Hey everyone, I'm Kari. Hello everyone, I am Bree. And this is CSA Talk. Welcome back, everyone. Another week, another episode of CSA Talk. Hi. Before we get into today's episode, just want to let you all know that this is a safe space for you. This is a safe space for everyone. And we're a family here. Everyone is welcome. Everyone from every race, every gender, you know, everyone is welcome here. Okay. Yeah. We all love you. So, we, you are welcome here. Okay. So, we're never welcome here just to, you know, Shut up the world in the last remains pad over. They alert or for at college, school, whatever. I got you. So today, as we say last week, we are talking about episode eight of season one of CSI crime scene investigation, which is called anonymous. We're talking about episode eight of season one of CSI crime scene investigation called anonymous. And this episode is. Features of their heavy case. Two cases, actually, but one of them is a heavy case. And so one of the some use arch enemies, it's probably first arch enemies, and there's some more whatever had to face. And then also we have another case that features Nick and Warwick. Okay, so the first case. The victim's name is Stuart Rampler. In the case, we've got Catherine, Brisson, Sarah, and Brez. Okay, Brisson and Brez, they are called to a very familiar crime scene. Stuart Rampler, he is dead on a bathtub in an apparent suicide. I think I've seen this film before, and I didn't like me, and they, you get the reference. The body is on top of a sleeping bag. And the window is open. That's why the neighbors call it in. Grissom sound a tape recorder and Stuart's hands and he plays the message. And the message is always My name is Stuart Rampler. I reside in and where do you said? And also it, the message was in reverse. Yeah. I like to tell my mom, I love you. I never want to for you to hear this. And then there's a sound of the trigger. Besides well, being not, recorded backward. Well, an autopsy, uh, it's found out that she was not only in the bathtub. Yeah. So he was not originally there. And uh, how they can tell it's complicated, uh, but. Essentially, they can tell it was the victim dies. The body temperatures is lowering, and then rigor mortis sets in. Back in the lab, person has to tell Sarah what happened in the first case because Grissom is the one that realizes that this, this is the second victim. And actually, there is a huge debate. It's still going. It goes on. Like there's a huge debate. Like when. And the killer considers your killer. It really depends. Like when I study for my final essay at the university, I used the definition given by the FBI, which was three or more victim in in a short space of time. And on CSI, they are now calling the serial killer when. It's a short space of terrorite, but two or more victims. So it actually depends from which organization is dealing with the case. But the FBI thinks it's way more victim, probably a short space of time. CSI thinks it's two, two victims in a short space of terrorite. In my country, for example, it's the watch, uh, this true crime show that airs every Thursday. 
Lately, Mary, the whole broadcast this serial killing case that happened during the pandemic. I'm like, if I'm going to give this guy any the same that he did me or he has, but they considered him a serial killer because they realized the similarities between two adapts that they're, they're like, oh, two serial killers. They're, they're like, oh, two adapts in the same manner. The victims, the URIs, they have the same characteristics. So, that a serial killer is so far more complicated to realize when a serial killer is acting. If you want to know, there are a lot of resources ordering for you to, to know. But be aware, the information. You have to have a lot of a mental strength and emotional strength to look at this information because everything we know right now in the 21st century about this type of behavior, we had to learn from cases from the past. So there these past studies they mentioned this this studies they mentioned those cases so if, if you want to look into that we're not curious you can you, of course you can but and requires but they require something for you sometimes i had to do i like a, a detox for two days I even had to stop watching Save Sign when I was doing the research because it sound it's a topic that is so heavy with with death and something that is it deals with the worst that humanity can do is not just serial as stalkers, such as the case that a person is dealing here, but it, it like the worst of the worst, you know, so if you want to know more, go ahead. But it's not as easy as it's um So, Kristen feels there I am. And because when the first case showed up, she wasn't part of the team yet. And now she is. And he gives her this very special powder to search for prints. The Red Creeper. Beast, and it's his concoction. And, and goes back to the hotel. She finds no prints. Not a single print, which is she, odd. Which is odd for a hotel because if if you ever go to a hotel and you take your black wide to a hotel, you just don't do it. Don't do it because you're never going to light down in a hotel ever again if you do it. Sarah is like, wow, that's suspicious. That's weird because she's like. This hotel bathroom shouldn't be, should not have been so clean. It should have been. And at least there should have been traces from the victim, from the killer, because as we've worked oh, previously, every kill. Yeah. And previous, some previous guests at the room. And as we learned from CSI, there should have been a trace from the killer. There, there are killers that do know how to not leave the trades, but she's like, there should have been traces. So she comes back to the lab and she's like, uh, your special powder didn't work. There wasn't a single trace back at the scene. And all the second prints that it was found actually belongs to Paul Melander. And Paul Malayler, as it happens, he always. Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. Halloween is a warehouse that makes Halloween paraphernalia. It's and like Spirit Halloween. Yeah. What's American? And I don't know if it's worldwide, but I know Spirit Halloween is US. Yeah, he, you know, technically it's a, it's a store that sells a lot of Halloween stuff. And he had used his own hands for the motive of him. 
that's why there was a lot of fingerprints. So Kristen was like, oh, maybe the killer purchased this hand that Paul Miranda made and decided to use this hand to status of the track. And in autopsy, Doc shows Catherine and Kristen that the victim of Stewart, he has a wound in his hands. So he was shot protecting himself. That was a protective thing. And Dr. Adams also says there is a stamp on his temple, which means that he was forced at gunpoint to get into the bed, into the bathtub. So Grissom now knows how the victims get into the bathtub. And now there's definitely proves that all of the deaths that he was dealing about this particular case is more homicides. So if they ever got the killer, Big Summer's lawyer can never say that the victims actually took their own rights. Doesn't could go into a court of law and say, no, but I know how now that the victims were forced to get into the bathtubs. Sarah knows that Stuart was actually just in the hotel for one night because his house was being fumigated. All of his bills of the presents and prepare for mailing. She's going to do all the envelopes. And she sees that one of the stamps is upsetting down. And she's like, huh? Okay. Are you clean? Grissom and Catherine, they talk to the Royce Hormos Moon. Okay, so that's the prediction. In the first case, she was telling them that her son would never commit suicide, but they were always like, which it's a standard, but see, it's a standard thing that bad investigators have to deal with, like, when they find a suicide victim and they talk to the relatives and the family members will say, no, my family member would never commit suicide. And they're they go back to this mother and then they're like, oh, you are right. I'm sorry. Now we know that your son did not commit suicide. He was murdered. Well, Grayson did not think he committed suicide. Yeah. They need to confirm that the voice or the recorder is actually Royce's voice. So she... Gives them a talking picture frame to compare the voice to. If you don't know it, as back then, early 2000, it's like a, it was like a picture frame that he recorded as well. It's like a tape recorder inside a picture frame. Like a teddy bear with a recording of a voice. She gives them the, this recorder. Back in the lab, Greg tells Sarah that the DNA on the stamp that she found belongs to Stuart's, but the upside down stamp was actually the DNA on the upside down stamp belonged to an unknown person. Sarah actually gives the name to the person. She says Anonymous is actually playing with the CSIs because he is living there a lot of unusual clues. Catherine and Grissom meanwhile they are visiting this complexity which is a dad's producer, who can hear a perfect pitch. You know, some people can actually hear a perfect pitch. Um, they take the recordings to, to him, and then he compares the, the voices from the tape recorder air, the, and the picture frame. But his mom was wronged. His, even though her son was a victim of a homicide, he was forced to record the tape, which tells now Grissom that the victims are being forced to record. The victims are forced to record themselves saying the exact same text. But the information is changed. They have to say their names, where they reside, say I love you to their moms. And Sarah. She is looking into the past of both victims 
And she is the one, Sarah Lager, she's so smart. I love her. She realizes that both of the victims, they share the same birthday. They were both born on August 17. This is important because, you know, who else was born on August 17? Grissom. We don't find that out until later. We don't find that out until later, but he, he was born on August 17. He doesn't, not even Grissom connects the points. No, right. that point. Makes a point to read Grissom's birthday. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't think we knew at that point when Grissom's birthday was, right? No, but we do find out in Catherine's when he makes the connection. Yeah. So, Royce so was actually the first victim, right? He was born in 1958, and Stuart was born in 1957. So, Catherine's like, well, the suicide tape the second victim was recorded backwards and the stamp was upside down so Grissom is like well so the killer wants us to look backwards for clothes so he tells Sarah to look all of the cases from August 17 1956 so they are they managed to lift up two thumbprints from the tape recorders one on the top of the others, and when they when it was their separator and they run through rapists, they go back to Pomelander, but he has uh, already been cleared. The other friend was Grissom's, and Mandy tried getting Grissom to get Catherine to leave the, the, the fingerprint lab. But Grissom says, anything you say, you can tell Catherine. And he's like, of course, they were both confused to why that was going on. So Grissom says, they say they got me under the thumb. And everybody, and Catherine's like, everybody knows you're not going to commit a murder because where was Grissom? He was always in the lab. He is always in the lab doing something. Or raising his cockroaches. Oh, yeah. He was either in the lab raising his cockroaches or back in his house doing some research, right? He, he would be the last person to keyword someone. And so Grissom decides to visit Paul Melandra. And ask him if he keeps any records of whoever bought his hands. But he can't help him because he doesn't keep track of any purchase. So Brass realizes that Stuart has been making ATM withdrawals. After his dad, that's weird because the guy has been on Doc Robin's table. Yeah, so Grigson is like, well, maybe the camera from the ATM uh, took a picture from the killer. So the ATM is brought to the lab. I don't know how much money they have in this lab. Because they're like, oh, if the ATM is taking pictures every three seconds, and we have taken a picture of the killer, let's bring the ATM here. <laughs> the ATM is brought to the lab, and Grissom is watching the surveillance footage. And it shows a homeless man being paid to hold up cue cards to the camera, which shows a message that the killer will kill again. And again, until he gets justice. Justice for what? What does he want? So Brass goes after the homeless man and brings him, and brings him to question me. And the guy tells them that he was brought, he was approached by a man who offered him $100 to hold the cards in front of the camera. And when he's asked to describe the person, he remembers a lot of the details, including the fact that the guy spoke of a stutter. And Grissom realizes that the person that the homeless man is talking about is Paul Melander. And he's like, oh, no, I literally let the guy got away through my fingers. I am not going to call him that word. I am not. But also, he was just thinking that nothing was going to happen. It's not. He's human. He's allowed for mistake. Yeah, I know. I do. I know that, okay? When I was watching this for the first time, I was like, oh, no, of course I'm letting that away. And then I was at, so I kept watching this scene, and I was like, there's no way this man is this boy's. There's simply no way this man is this boy's for stuff, you know? So... Grissom realizes that his fingerprints was in the tape recorder because 
she touched the rubber hands the first time you visit the warehouse. And Sarah finds out that Paul Melander, he witnessed to a man stage his father's suicide when he was 10 years old. And the team realizes that he is killing man born on the same day as his father's death. And then they take a SWAT team, as in Marcelo Cameron, take a SWAT team to the warehouse. And it's empty. Completely empty. Like, where are all the products? Like, where did this guy put all of these products? I don't know where. There's only an envelope dressed to Grissom. Inside of the envelope, there is nothing written on it. Like, there is a piece of paper with nothing written on it. And Grissom's like, oh, we have nothing. And they're like, my dude, run this paper through, run this paper through something. But remember when the tempest was taking place. One, two, one, two, oh, three, oh, oh, one, three. There we go. Start it again. My dude, Grissom, run this paper through something, anything, you know. Run some prints, lift up something, you know, do anything with this paper. Right? So, when they, um, CSIs, they're searching the warehouse for clothes. Paul Melander, he is visiting the lab. He's just waving at a security camera. Like, okay. Okay, now we have another case that it's. Less heavy than this one. It's kind of funny though. And I'm also not happy with Sneaky Boy. Oh, I'm not happy with Sneaky Boy either. You know, we love Nick. Okay, we do. Except when it comes to him making bets with Walk, who has a gambling addiction. I don't know if if Nick knew that Warwick had a gambling addiction at this point, did he? I don't know, but even after he wouldn't have known, he was still making the bets. Yeah, that's not good. Okay, so... Another... knew if he had an addiction by this point. Yeah. He should have said something. Well, so this other case, we have, we only have, like, Nick and Warwick. So Nick and Warwick, they are caught out... So over dam because a reckless driver, his car went over a cliff. And an anonymous call was made to 911, which may be indicating that there was foul play. So the CSIs arrive at the scene and they find the victim unconscious at the back seat. But that driver is nowhere to be found. And Nick finds an empty bottle, an empty beer bottle nearby. And he's like, huh, maybe the driver is drunk and the beer in the bottle is is still cold. Okay. So at the top of the cliff, Nick is measuring the turn tracks. And he's like, huh, maybe the driver is going at least 17 miles per hour. If my people who don't know what's how many miles per hour is in kilometers. 70 kilometers or kilometers. I think that would be 112 kilometers per hour. That I was, I was darn close. Yeah. So 70 miles per hour, that would be 112 kilometers per hour. That would be over the legal limit to, to run over some interstates there's some interstate rules here in my countries because some interstates just allow you that allows the driver to drive up to a hundred kilometers per hour being good weather right so the groups in the dirt from the car indicates that a balance balance of the age of the coolies before it's all over. So Nick believes they're looking for a quote-unquote phantom driver. Okay. Because the footprints point towards someone running from the scene. Nick believes that whoever was driving the car 
with Walter behind on the back seat. Is was driving went really fast on the world and then was on the cliffs and realizes that the car was going to fall over. Got out of the car and decided to run for his life and leave Walter all alone. So the car went over the cliff. And a second, a second set of tires are nearby and Nick realizes that Someone drove by, picked up the driver, and drove him to the hospital. But Warwick, he sees another set of footprints, which indicates that someone walked up to the edge of the cliff. It's cliff. Warwick spots another set of footprints, which tells him that someone walked to the edge of the cliff. So he believes that was a crime, not an accident. So the CSIs, they decide to make a bet. And Warwick has a gambling problem. Warwick, he, he literally just got out of a situation with a corporate judge. And he's now making bets with Nick. Okay. Their bets, it's on either Pendulum Driver versus Foul Play. In the hospital, Nick and Warwick, they are both told that Walter is happily sedated and he won't be coming off of the medications for another 12 to 24 hours. And Warwick, he realizes there are terrors on Walter's finger and his wrists, but there is no watch or rings or any spiritual effects. The only thing that was collected from him was his wallet, but there was no money in it. Nick so when they realized that there was like let's double our benefit. And by the end of the episode it's tripled. Yeah, so Warwick he checked out six different medical centers. But there is no evidence whatsoever of a fentanyl driver. Uh, Nick should be the one to do this because he's the one that is batting with the fentanyl driver theory, but the 911 called me from the scene, came back to a Vegas area cell phone, but there is no name connected to it. Nick discovers that the car is, belongs to Walter actually, and it was rented from the airport three days ago. And so they're like, oh, maybe this guy was on a vacation to Vegas, but the victim only packed one change of clothes. His ring and his watch are still unaccounted for. So, next series literally going down the hill, and Warwick thinks this theory is actually the right one. So, Nick decides to simply lose the car, and he is able to find a lot of sets of prints on the steering wheel and dashboards. And all of the prints that he found belongs to Walter, but there are specks of blue dust on the reds of the Sega prints. So they take a close look at the sample, but they don't know what that could be. Because this, because science, because while science was strong in the early 2000s, it did not have a, the best way to figure out what it would have been, which we do figure out what it is in the episode. Yeah. When Warwick's theory seems to be the right one, and Warwick is like, well, since. The fingerprints that we have in the car are the something the people will rent last, which is his fingerprints and the tail lines from the victim and the lack of money and the lack of personal effects. And the bruise on his face, Mark is like, oh, maybe he was robbed. But Mark is um, partially close. Yeah. Neither of them are right. Neither one of them is right. So Nick's first theory was correct. Warwick, he goes through a catalog of shoe prints and he finds a match to the one in the dirt at the scene, a size 11, all-star, converse all-star. So the mystery tire print on the scene is actually from a tire that is commonly used from a 1999 Bentley Ornich. Ornich? I don't know how to pronounce this. 
and only three people in Vegas owns this car. And one of them was reported stolen a week before. And when the car was found, it was found in a car wash, having been completely vacuumed and detailed and any evidence. It's literally gone, completely gone, washed away completely. Nick is processing Walter's clothes and he finds the same little trace. And it comes back as silicone blue dye, which is full cold chalk, which is the one that you use when you play pool. They can work. They compare both of the theories. Nick is like, oh, so Walter was playing pool with his phantom driver and the drunk driver crashed the car. He got out of the car, ran us. He left his friend in the backseat. And we're like, oh, yeah, he was drinking and playing pool. But he was driving by himself. He was flanked down by a man, scared, and hit the railing, balancing off the edge. And then he was robbed, forced into the backseat, pushed over the edge. Both of the scenarios could work, and then, like, what? Both of them could work? Yeah, obviously, both of them could work, but maybe wait until it's up to the mixum. Yeah. Okay. Walter wakes up. So Nick and Warwick, they're like, okay, let's talk to the victim, right? Both of them were like, you, sir, you deserve justice. They give like this heavy speech of like, we are here to bring justice to you, sir, whoever done you in the home. We're doing to make you right. And Walter literally explained was what happened. Yep. He said that he gambled all of his money at a pool hall, including his watch and ring. And then he tried to drive home very drunk. And then he swear, swerved to avoid an oncoming truck, crushed into the guardrail. And when he realized that his car was going off the cliff, he went into the backseat, bumping himself up, and waited for the car to go over. And the seatbelt that he pulled up hit actually saved his life. So the, the story Bentley actually, it could have been there anytime last week. It wasn't related to the Walter case. So neither of the theories from Nick and Warwick was right, was right. But they chose to go Double or nothing. When they were alerted about another crime scene, which was probably the Pablo case. Okay, so since we're going into this in-depth series, I have I have this thing for true crime, right? So, well, so the first case, right? It's so. Paul Lander, although he was not murdered, but he was also assaulted. In order to choose his victim, he chose the victims that chose male victims that were born on the day that his father died, but in the years that went backwards. And according to an article from 2017 from The Guardian, Stalking behavior is identified in 94% of murderers. And if you have seen Criminal Minds, and there is a Korean explanation given by Reed when someone, when someone asks him about stalking, he said that this stalker, which can be either men or women, they will either kill the person that they are obsessed with most of the cases they they do because the person they are obsessed about they don't correspond to the fantasies that they have in mind. I mean, just watch the series view that the show you on Netflix. So be sure. I mean, the show about this guy who stalks women because he so desperately wants to be loved 
and he wants love and he wants to be loved. And when that doesn't happen, the only thing that they, he thinks it's right is he has to now kill that person. I mean, the last season of you when that whole thing happened to one character, it really completely shows how it actually happens in the real world. I mean, not that every, not that stalkers will hood their objects of obsessions in a glass cage, like they do it in you, but the thing about stalking is that it could start seemingly harmless. And I think it's really important to say this because we have a platform here and there are some people in our community, our CSI community that don't really know the limits when it comes to the actors that portray this character. They're not characters. They're actors that portray the characters. They may inspire some of the viewers to do something with their lives. But in the end of the day, they are a human being, you know? And I'm not gonna, we're not gonna name names and we're not gonna do anything, but in the end of the day, some of us, being fans of someone, it could be stalking. Like, when do you draw the line between being a fan of someone and then stalking them? When it stops being something that it's healthy. When you think you have a relationship with that person, but the person doesn't even know you exist when it's something that you completely created inside your mind. Like, when you take pictures. Other kids. Yeah. Look, you probably know about which actor we're talking about, but your kids, you know, they cannot be more than 10 years old. We've seen, we like our podcast, it's about a crime show that. The letter CSI stands for Crime Scene Investigation. If you go to the side of TikTok that talks about why it's not good to post pictures of your kids are wearing, especially not kids, and especially not pictures of kids that are not yours. Like, guys, we're just saying that. Being a fan of someone is great. We we're talking about an episode that aired like 23 yeah. years ago at this point. No, it was, it was, it would have been 20, posted in 22 years ago because it probably ended in fall of 26, the year 2000. Okay, it would have been 22 years ago. So it's about, it's 22 years ago, but it's about, it's about Kateria of Crime known as Stalking. And I'm not saying that fans from our community are stalkers. I'm just saying that some of us don't know when to draw the line. And that's that's in every fandom, not just ours. Yeah, not just ours, you know. Like, okay. I, you know, I can't I'm going to name off some actors from one of my other favorite shows, Doctor Who. They were, they were stalked so bad that they had to get off social media and got, granted, yes, got a lot of hate, like Stephen Moffat. Okay, but, I, they can speak to me. And something really quite recently that happened on another show that I that I watched. So it's a situation that happened quite recently. So there is a show that I I'm not gonna name names, but whatever. So they're doing this show, and it takes a long time for them to shoot the show, right? And they were doing like this recap show to keep fans informed of what is going on in the set and from the few seconds after the video of this thing showed up in the screen, right? And honestly, I, I didn't even know what it was going on until video showed up on my YouTube page talking about it. 
And I watch it and I was like, okay, what is the fuss all about? Like, why? And Nathayas, the, the, this particular show, there's a lot of controversy surrounding this show because of the person that the show is about. If you know, you know. And now it, it has come to a point in which the creator of the show had to post a video on the show's page today talking about it, not specifically about what happened this past week, but specifically about how many people were flattering him, his family members, the cast and crew with questions on top of questions on top of questions about the history points of the show, about about the actors' lives, about like about the crew's lives, and like they're like, oh, if you're only gonna be part of this show, if you have this specific lifestyle, or you're only gonna be part of this show, if you have this specific religion or something like that, completely forgetting what the show is all about, you know, and this is. This is actually what we are trying to talk about. It, we're not trying to, to, get, to teach you guys a lesson here, but you have this healthy, but when it's not healthy. Not only just for you, but for everyone around you. Like, it's the same thing, like, they're not, like, in the beginning of CSI, people were demanding BS to fire Georgia Fogs. They were demanding CBS to fire her because they didn't like Sarah. They're like, why didn't they like her? And it was like, maybe it was sexism. I don't know, because I resonate, because she resonates a lot with me. But I'm talking about the perspective of someone who is, who was born into the Gen Z. And from someone who is watching the show right now. And that everything that loves everything about her. That's not to say that there are some things that she does that I'm like, hey, I love her, but I don't really agree with her when she does this day or that thing. I think that's just one of the things that you don't know see a size of crime show. You have to know when to draw a line when things are healthy or not healthy for you. And like a few years ago, there was this movie coming out. It was a musical movie. And Vance was asking one of the actresses of the movie to step on them. I think some, I think generally some actors, they are actors and actresses. And they are very, but they are very, very confused about things that our generation <laughs> reacts to the word. But they are really confused and kind of liberating. Like, not, but yeah, so like there's this guy from the show that I watch. This guy been doing like his thing every Sunday. He's, he's doing this his own thing and people be like commenting on this video like, like what a sexy man and this guy is just trying to do his own thing. Like, dude, it's just, sometimes it's just, we tend to forget that those actors are people, but they are people, but they are not the characters. You are not important. They deserve privacy and they deserve, well, okay, not everybody's automatically deserves, like, respect, but they deserve a certain amount of, I, I can't say this word correctly, but amenity. And like, you cannot just go into an actor's or their actor's or four members or whatever page and demand a stance from them about, about something that happened. And when they do make a stare about what they believe and about what you believe, and then you disagree with them. Well, you say it's too late. Like, this is going on with Taylor Swift right now. She oh, was because not... of the speech? She, she yeah. gang? 
yeah, people say she should have done it earlier, but she's probably saving it. Like a lot of things happen for Pride Month. Yeah, to have more weight. I think. I think. And let me just put it right. I think people demand a lot. I think we put those people that we love, admire, like, that we admire in such a high standard. On oh, the different pedestals. We put them on a pedestal, and then when they do something that we don't agree, instead of being like, okay, we have different points of view, but what can I do, you know? We were raised differently, probably in different countries, different backgrounds. No. Different we, decades. Different decades. But it's, it really comes down to the hate that you give. Right? But it comes down to the hate that you give, because... You demand something from someone, you keep provoking, provoking, and provoking, and once the person reacts to you, now you hate the person. This is not about quote unquote woke culture. I think this is something that has been going on forever. But that was bothering a lot of people. And it's affecting a lot of people's mental health. A lot of people have been bullied off social media in the past few years. You care to treat people like garbage and then worship whatever deity that you believe in and they expect that deity or energy, whatever you believe in, to be cool with that bad. Because they won't turn the blind, a blind eye. They won't try to blame me for, for what you do. And there was, there's been times where, in one of my other fandoms, I was bullied for not liking a character. I say the actors are phenomenal. I just did not like the characters. I, I had to step away from that fandom. And now, ever since the most recent episode, I've been more than into the fandom again. It just, sometimes it's just. Mentally taxing. Yeah, and I personally, I had uh, something happened to me in April that I will absolutely never forget in my whole life, and it opened my eyes and I it completely changed for me. And I see the world differently. Did my life get any easier? No. Am I still having the same problems? Absolutely. Do I have more peace? Yes. Because I am preserving my mental health. You know, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm not on Twitter that much. I'm probably more on Twitter on Wednesdays than any other day because that's when we put it out after it's out. I was on Thursdays because that's when yes, I was on, but that was it. And oh, and there was an update on the strike, too. Yeah, guys, there was an update on the strike. There's a... There is a... Sure. There's a chance that the Director's Guild might be joining, and there's also a chance that SAG might be joining. So that means there's a chance that everything, all of Hollywood, might get put into lockdown if those three I'm sorry, all of Hollywood might stop. Except for producers. Except for music, but like, we absolutely support that. Yes. But does that mean that CSI might be later? Yeah. It also means something else might happen to CSI. Because last time a strike happened, shows them in the first couple of seasons. Okay, stop with this, Andrew. I'm sorry, I just have to be prepared for everything with my... With no, 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 stop with this, energy because we're not going to cancel it. We're going to cancel it. I know for a fact that Anthony has dropped the pan, but just because he's dropped the pan, doesn't mean that the other, the other writers involved in CSI have dropped the pan. I don't, we don't follow Jason Tracy on, on Instagram because he hasn't accepted our request yet. That doesn't mean that he, Jason Tracy has stopped working though. I just, as, as we said, like, well, I just can't, this last couple of weeks, CSI has been really good. But there, there might be the possibility of Hollywood stopping. Yes. 
the, the strike has gotten worse. Yes. Is CSI getting laid? There might be. There might be. Like, it was already pushed back until football is almost over. And as us Americans know, that's not until winter. That's not even until winter or for you all that don't know. That would be late in October? No. November? Football is no December, January. December, January. Okay. February is Super Bowl. And then January's playoffs. And also wild card games. December is okay, kind of so that was so CSI has been pushed back to the end of the year. And then this was a good season, though, so I mean we we got it to most to cover. So yeah. CSI it is coming back inspired. We're gonna keep the band a little He did write one or two episodes this past season. Yeah. I mean but there is a lot more writers involved in CSI. Like Jason Tracy, if you're listening to this, take my boy Josh out of prison. They can write him prison when you let love that. Take out of prison. I am suffering here, we go. Ransom Nation. Our ship has sunk. I think we're in the bottom of the ocean right now. We have sunk. Our ship is in the body of the ocean. We're in bottom of the ocean right now. Like we we were barely hanging on right now, but we are at the bottom of the ocean. What, what is it going to take for us to to get back up? You know, Jason Tracy, do something, please. Okay, so which episode are we covering next week? Well, it's actually the very next episode. It's Unfriendly Skies, season one, episode nine. That was be a great episode. I like it that. Episode. Ben I Tyler. Why, I don't know why it's in this list, but it's an episode, but it's a great episode. Yeah, I don't know why it's in the list, but it's an unsettling episode, but it's a great episode, baby. So, guys, oh, we love you guys so, so much. Love you guys oh, so, yeah. so much. They're going to go on there. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love y'all. Stay safe. Bye. Stay safe. You guys, thanks for.